Let me just welcome everybody. My name is Doug Ressler. I'm a pastor out in Parker, Colorado, little town, well, not so little anymore, I guess, south and east of Denver, um, and been here about 11 years, and uh, uh, just glad to be a part of this with y'all. And joining me are Mike Wright, who is the pastor out at Littleton Christian Church out here also in Colorado, and Bryn McPhail, who is the pastor um, out in the Bahamas. Uh, of Kirk, uh, what's it called again, Bren? You're, you're the, the official name of your church. I'm, I'm going to screw it up if I say it. St. Andrew's Presbyterian Kirk. St. Andrew's Presbyterian Kirk, that's right. And uh, John Mayberry, who was with us last time, is on vacation, so he will not be this time. Um, really glad to have all of you here. As I said, on the day before Thanksgiving, we are talking specifically about the uh, revitalization of the pastor today as we talk about church revitalization as a whole. Um, I know there's some ruling elders on the call today as well, and we're hopeful that you guys will be full participants in this conversation because one of the things that Mike, Bryn, and I, as well as John, would, would fully affirm is that ruling elders are crucial in helping the pastor of the church stay revitalized. And so you guys have a really significant role to play, and we hope that you'll Again, feel free to jump in on the discussions when we do our breakout groups and those kinds of things. Um, again, just really grateful to have you here. Let me open us with a word of prayer, and then um, I'll talk a, about a couple of logistical items, and then we're going to go ahead and start by, um, well, I'll just talk a couple of logistical items, and we'll go from there. So, Father, thank you for this time. Uh, thank you for these dear friends, um, colleagues in ministry, uh, ruling and teaching elders of the EPC from across the denomination, across the U.S., and as we gather on this uh, Thanksgiving Eve, Lord, we are grateful and thankful for you, most of all, and what your son Jesus Christ did for us to secure our salvation, what he does for us uh, to sustain us in ministry, and what his promises for us as we look forward to glory, God, and, and his uh, second return, and all that that means, and the culmination of all things, God. And I know so many of us are, I'm sure, longing for that to happen soon. Uh, especially in the midst of this COVID season that has just sapped the strength of so many, not just pastors and ministry leaders, but uh, certainly doctors and nurses and other healthcare workers and um, teachers and administrators and just different folks from all walks of life right now. And so, Lord, as we are called in this time to minister in your name, we pray that this would, this time, even these next, next hour or two, would be a, a revitalizing time for all of us. Uh, an energizing time for all of us, um, and we'd walk away feeling lighter and and uh, maybe more at peace or, or less burden than we came in. Uh, Lord, we thank you again for your spirit, and we pray that he would guide our conversation, and we pray these things in your name. Uh, amen. Um, so today, kind of what we're going to do is we've got a couple of hours, just like we did last time. We're going to focus in, as I said, on the revitalization of the pastor, and essentially what's going to happen is you're going to hear from Mike Wright, you're going to hear from me and you're going to hear from Bryn as we each share sort of our stories of uh, the ups and downs of ministry, where we found ourselves devitalized, where we find out, found ourselves revitalized, and kind of some of the, the core elements that we discovered along the way. Then we're, after each person shares, we'll go into a breakout session, and each breakout session will sort of have a question that we'll, uh, we'll lead out with, but then just want to have some discussion for about 20 minutes or so. Then we'll come back here from the next presenter, so on and so forth. At the end, 
we expect there to be maybe 10, 15 minutes for some questions and, uh, you know, and answers if you guys want, or, or you can leave early if that uh, works for you as well. I know out here in Colorado, this is like a 2 to 4 p.m. time, but if you're in the East Coast or you're out where Brent is, that's a, a 4 to 6 p.m. time, that kind of thing. So we want to be respectful of everybody's time. But again, just appreciate you all being here and looking forward to the conversation. And so I'm going to ask Mike to kind of step up and lead us out. Uh, and by sharing just a little bit of his story uh, with you, and then we'll go into, then I'll, I'll be back to kind of give us the question that will lead into our breakout session. So Mike Wright. Great, thanks, Doug. Um, okay, I'm getting a notification from the host here. Okay, uh, so I really appreciate the chance to share with all of you again today. And for those who uh, for all of us presenters, we really uh, appreciated your affirmation and feedback from the last time. And of course, we're the, we want this to be a conversation about vitality and revitalization, not just, we're certainly not um, three and, and with John four gurus related to, um, to vitality. We are, uh, we're fellow uh, strugglers when it comes to this. And um, uh, I, you know, I, when we're talking about the revitalization of the pastor, you know, I, I, I always go back to why on earth did Doug ask me to do this? Um, sometimes I think it's because I'm really good at acting like I'm revitalized or acting like I'm full of life. And, uh, and actually, to be honest, when I'm with the Presbytery of the West, which, you know, is objectively the greatest Presbytery in the history of all Presbyteries, but you know, we could debate that other times. Uh, I do feel more vital when I'm with my brothers and sisters in that setting. And so, uh, so that, uh, that could be part of it. But um, I wanna say some things that are obvious here at the beginning uh, and I'll tie in some of my own, uh, my own story and my own life uh, to, uh, to help uh, fill this in. But let me just say something really obvious. There is a lie about vitality that we are all tempted to believe, and I certainly am tempted, tempted to believe it. And the truth is the more I believe the lie about vitality, the more difficult revitalization is. Uh, the more I buy into it, the more I let myself think that, gosh, these, this is the law of spiritual physics. You know, this is how it works. So here's the lie. I, I went to my uh, tech department in my church and had them, had them uh, make this great chart. Here's the lie. All right, hopefully you can see this. That um, this is vitality, this is time. That over time, it will constantly be up and to the right, especially if I'm doing the right things. If I'm following the steps, if, I'm, if I have a great... A spiritual discipline life and you know if I'm connected with people in the right way and if I'm doing all of the things you know pick your book on healthy spirituality if I'm following everything that they say I should be doing then I will be vitalized I can remember uh, as a teenager though that was the first time I read the Richard Foster book celebration of discipline and I I said, I even, I think I taught this, you know, to the little youth group, uh, small group that I was leading. I said, we don't need another book. If we just do these disciplines, that's all we need to do. Like, this is it. In my mind, 
here they are. Here are the here are the steps to take, and if you do them, you will you'll grow. Now, there's some truth to that, but the reality we we know this. We all know pastors and elders. We know this, but it helps to say it out loud once in a while. Something that's a little bit closer to the vitality truth is this, right? Our line is up and down. Sometimes we go down below the, you know, what we thought was zero for vitality. We go negative. Sometimes we spike. It is, uh, it is a wild journey over time. And, um, and it's not just a wild journey over time. As I think about my own experience of vitality, uh, my memory is one of my greatest enemies when it comes to vitality. I can think back on seasons of my life that now when I think back on them, I think, oh, we were, we were so connected. My, my, my group and I, I personally was so connected to God. I had such a clear sense of what he was doing. There was so much joy in worship. There was so much joy in fellowship. We were on mission. Uh, we were seeing people give their lives to the Lord in our ministry. We were, we were serving in these exciting ways. And you can think back on it. And I, I imagine everyone in this call, because you have signed up and tuned into this, can think back at periods of your life. And it in your memory, it is gangbusters. It is so thrilling, so fruitful, so exciting. And that's actually another lie that we need to call out. If you could go back and relive those days exactly as you lived them, you would have unfulfilled longings. You would have frustrations. You would bring your own sin with you into it. it I might think back on those times, you know, I, I was thinking when I tell my life story, my junior year of college, which was in the early 2000s, uh, is one of, the, one of the great years of my life in terms of my sort of sense of spiritual joy, spiritual connection to God, these uh, deep times of prayer, deep times of ministry. I was first discovering my call to ministry and getting opportunities to do it. I think back on that year and now it's all, it's just glowing. It's so wonderful. There's inspiring music playing in the background. But in the reality, if I go back and read my journal during that time, I was frustrated that, you know, this or that girl didn't like me. I was struggling with, you know, with certain classes. I wasn't sleeping well. I was having the same bouts of depression that I always have. And the further I go, maybe all that's happened to me is I've become more aware of and more realistic with the fact that my own sense of vitalization and devitalization and revitalization is happening every day. It's I, I'm rising and falling on a great conversation, on a great worship service, on how well I thought I did in my sermon last week, on whether uh, a meeting I led was well received or poorly received. And gosh, that starts to expose another lie about vitality. That vitality is somehow connected to um, 
being emotionally happy or joyful um, versus being unhappy or depressed. That vitality is somehow related to people liking you or disliking you. That vitality is somehow related to, um, to your goals being accomplished in a certain amount of time. The reality is our vitality is a slippery frog to hang on to. And it is constantly slipping out of our hands and we're constantly chasing after it. And we're not even always sure what it is that we mean when we're saying revitalization. Do we mean our churches are really fruitful? Yeah, for sure. Do we mean that we have a ton of joy? Maybe, yeah, maybe. But when I look back on my life, I realize that, yeah, I feel more vitalized when, um, when I have a sense of God's purposes for me and when I'm cooperating and collaborating with God's purposes for me. And if I drift from those, if I have a sense of what God's calling me to do and I'm not doing it, yeah, I feel less vital. I feel lower. I feel foggy. But also, no matter how clear I think my sense of God's purposes for me are, I'm a Presbyterian. I'm always wrong. I'm always bringing my own sin with me. I'm always distorting my sense of God's purposes. I'm, and so I bring it before people in my life and I share it with them. And I may have so much joy about something that God, I, I think, this is God, what God's saying to us. Look at this scripture. Look at what, you know, what we heard in prayer, you know, consider this opportunity or these circumstances. And I might put it before the elders of my church and they, in their love and wisdom might say, that, nope, that's not it, man. Like you're off. Well, guess what? I, in that moment, this is me, me personally, my personal experience of vitality just went from a 10 to a one when they did that. And it could be that they are exactly right and that going with what they say is what God's calling us to do. And it's gonna feel devital, unvital, not vital the whole time that I'm obeying, that I'm going with it. So we also need to recognize that vitality, that, that's another word for life, right? That's just not something we give ourselves. It's not. And, and the more I let go of my attempt to make my own life, the freer I am to experience the Lord's life. You'll really be impressed with what our tech department did. I took that last graph and I made it into a 3D graph. Here's the, here's the reality. Vitality is a cycle. It's constantly, as we go, it's a spiral. We go down and up and down and up. And it may be that when we go really deep down, we bounce higher up than we thought we would. So, you know, we've been talking about vitality, this little group of four pastors for, for almost a year. Um, and it's been great. I think one of the best things for vitality is to try to become responsible for trying to explain how somebody could revitalize, <laughs> like just sitting down and thinking, so all of you pastors and elders, you, what if you just sat down and thought, what would I teach if I was teaching on revitalization? But it's occurred to me as we've been talking about this, that we have all these buzzwords in church ministry 
Words like revival, which has a boatload of baggage that comes with it. Words like revitalization, words like renewal. We have all these words that are all getting back to something, getting back to life, getting back to our sense of newness and freshness. And um, as we look at, as we think about all of those words, the truth is Jesus doesn't call us to do any of them. There's only one re-word that Jesus calls us to, and that's repent. That's what he calls us to do. It, so as we're, yeah, we're going to talk about principles for, hey, certain things, practices that have worked in our own life for uh, revitalization, things that have helped us to experience the life of the Lord more, to be more aware of what he's doing, to have more joy in what he's doing. But elders and pastors, what we're called to do is repent. And that brings me back to my, my 3D image here, all right? Our work is actually pressing into the downward part of the spiral. Let me give another image for that. Pedaling a bike. Now, not a fancy bike where you clip into the pedals, bikers, but a bike with platform pedals. The only way you make the bike go is by pushing down. That's the only way you make the bike go. And friends, we are constantly bringing ourselves with us. We're constantly having to wrestle with our own sin, with our own brokenness. When, when I am feeling really excited about something and somebody comes in and brings a complicating idea to it, somebody comes in and, and challenges it and says, well, that doesn't make sense because of this scripture, or because of this circumstance, or because of this complication, or you haven't thought through this, or you haven't planned well for that. That devitalizes me for sure. You know what revitalizes me? To say, you really just poked my pride there. Like that, I'm feeling really frustrated because now I'm confused between whether I should keep going in what I thought God was telling me to do or try to please you and change direction and, and do what makes you happy. And, and then I start getting confused about whether or not making that person happy is what's gonna make me feel vital. And it will for a moment because there's all sorts of false vitalities that get mixed up in the true vitality, the life that is really life. So how do we tell the difference? Well, we tell by repenting, by repenting. That's, that's what we do. Repentance is, is not just a momentary thing. Let me, let me say obvious things that you pastors and elders know. Repentance is not simply the act of confession, but it certainly starts with confession. You know, Martin Luther's first thesis in the 95 Theses is that when our Lord and Master uh, told us to repent, he meant that the entire Christian life was to be one of repentance. That's, that's the whole thing. Our work is repentance. What is repentance if not leaving behind my will, setting aside my sin, setting aside my stuff, doing all of the work to push that, to bring that before the Lord, to push that away, and then being open to what he would have me do. That, that's the work of repentance. Um, I'm really fascinated by the life of George Mueller. You know, George Mueller, the, the English uh, gosh, history maker who, you know, 10,000 orphans he cared for in his lifetime, opened 150 
Bible colleges, always was hearing God's voice and obeying, never asked for money, had all these miraculous things. So people say, George, what, what allows you to hear God so clearly? You always seem to know what he's doing. And George would say, well, 90% of the work is just getting my will out of the way, letting go of my self-will. So I do that with my elders, with my friends, with my wife, through confession. That's how I do that. I do that by telling them when I'm really struggling with lust, when I'm tempted to go places on the internet that will damage my soul and my marriage and my ministry. I do that when I'm struggling with greed, when I when all I really care about is was there enough uh, enough put into the offering to make sure that my paycheck and my staff's paychecks can can get keep getting paid. I have to confess when I'm struggling with pride, when what I really care about is do people like me as a preacher? Are people inspired by my words? That's the kind of stuff that I have to bring out and, and my own vitality and it spreads to the leaders in my church and the people in my life is directly associated with how vulnerable and honest I am being in that situation. That, that's, that's where my vitality starts. That's my push down in the cycle. That's what God's calling us to do. We repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Mike. I really appreciate that. And as we go into our breakout rooms for about 20 minutes or so, um, we're going to talk about that. Like what what areas of your life, that's kind of the lead question, do you need to repent uh, in so that the spirit might bring revitalization to your heart? What lies are you believing? What what idols are you holding on to? And and and, you know, for you ruling elders, like, you know, as you think about your life together with the pastor that you're leading your church with, like, how do you, how do you create an environment where this kind of conversation can take place? And let's, uh, let's dialogue a little bit about that in the next room. As we go into our breakout rooms, if you do have your video screen off, I just ask that you turn it back on if you can, so we can ever see everybody's faces. That would be great. And uh, we'll, we'll return back in 20 minutes or so. All right. I think that's, probably everybody that's populated the breakout rooms. Hope your first breakout room was good and hope the conversations continue into the next one. Um, so as Mike shared, you know, that repentance is a key part of the journey, um, especially as we're wrestling with things like anxiety and fears and those and insecurities and those things that, that rise, that expose those areas in our lives where we may not may not fully trust in the Lord as we think we might, or um, maybe we've been fooling ourselves. Maybe we've been believing the lies, as Mike pointed out, that 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 ministry should be up and to the right as long as we are doing the things that we um, should be doing or think we should be doing. Um, for my part, um, just to share a little bit of my story, um, my experience in ministry, I'm sure like a lot of yours, really follows the gospel narrative when you think about it, kind of creation, fall, redemption, glory, um, maybe not quite glory yet, <laughs> creation, fall, redemption, and then circling back. But, um, you know, it, so much of vitality for me has has come as I've reflected back on um, just where the Lord has had me over, over the years. I've been doing this, I graduated from seminary in 2002. And my first call was, was really amazing. 
um, you know, I was, I was 29. I was fresh into ministry. Um, my wife and I, we had two kids. We moved down to this small little church um, in Westmobile, Alabama. And it was a, a church that was really struggling in a lot of ways. Um, my first elder retreat with them, I asked where they thought they would see themselves in 10 years. And they said with a for sale sign out front. Um, it, there was about 80 folks in worship or so. Um, all of them were over the age of 65. And they were in a community that had really, um, really declined since the 1950s when they were planted. And a community that at one point in time had been all white and upper middle class was now about half black, half white, and the declining re tax revenue base and all that kind of stuff was impacting the schools and other things. Um, it just, just local services were really in decline. It was really a struggle. And these folks were the ones who probably couldn't afford to white flight out, frankly, uh, to the suburbs or out, out further west to the, to the suburbs. And so as a result, they felt trapped, they felt stuck. Um, and when I got there, I spent the first two years um, working as, as hard as I could, doing just about everything in that church, trying to get them back on track. And the, and the, really, the really sad thing was is that for a while it worked. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the programmatic changes that we did um, really brought new people and new life into the church. But, but in the meantime, I was dying. Um, and after about two, two and a half years, I went and saw a professional counselor because I, I couldn't sustain the pace that I had set. And I, I was already burned out and I couldn't believe it. And I was thinking to myself, how am I going to do this for the rest of my life? Like, I don't, I don't know. I was in probably, the church was probably at its, one of its zenith points and I was at one of my lowest points. And so, whereas Mike might, you might picture the graph that Mike showed you, you know, either that, that cycle that he talked about, I have actually found myself um, either experiencing vitalization, either devitalization or revitalization in inverse proportion to how the church is doing over the course of my career, interestingly enough. Um, and so this was one of those moments two and a half years in where, again, the church was doing great. I was not doing great. I was at one of my worst points. And um, and so I sat down with that counselor and that counselor basically, you know, we talked about a lot of things, but his, his, big, his big point to me was, you know, what are you trying to prove and who are you trying to prove it to? And that was a, that kind of set me on a journey of really asking that question. And I'm not sure it, it took me many years to actually answer that. Um, but that was a really fundamental question for me as I thought about the vitality, the spiritual vitality of my own heart. What am I trying to prove and who am I trying to prove it to? Um, that, that's a really important question for me because I come from an alcoholic family system. My, I'm the oldest child, so I'm the hero of an alcoholic family system. My dad is an alcoholic. And so, so proving myself has always been the, the single greatest coping mechanism that I had to deal with the shame of coming from that family background. And that just sort of spilled over into ministry. Um, Thankfully, uh, just spending time with that counselor backed me off, and I was able to then kind of get to a healthier place. We spent six wonderful years in Mobile, and we did see God do a lot in that in that little church. Um, a lot of great ministry miracles and things that we still tell stories about to, to this day. Um, I remember a homeless ministry that we started or helped get started there in Mobile. As some of you may be familiar with, it's called Family Promise now, but it was called Interfaith Hospitality Network back then, and 
um, you house homeless families in your church for a week and then they go to the next church and you basically get a group of about 12 to 13 churches and throughout the year you're hosting different families helping them get back on their feet with job training and helping their kids with homework and all those kinds of things and our church did that and um, and it was a real struggle to to get them to sign up for that because it was a, such a commitment and we just didn't have a lot of people with a lot of energy and so um, it was going to literally take every resource the church had to actually be part of this and I pushed them on it and we ended up doing it and um, and it was really great we were we had like the second week and the first family that showed up was African-American, which was great. And literally their names were Joseph and Mary. <laughs> so, so it be kind of sort of became self-evident that God was involved in that. Uh, but that became a real miraculous story that gave them a lot of confidence. Um, and again, what I learned was that even as I was dealing with my own anxiety in that situation, my own fears of failure and those kinds of things, the congregation was too. They were really scared to die and they were scared of what that might mean. And they were scared of of, of what it might mean to really take risks and those kinds of things. And every impulse in them wanted to conserve what they had. Um, and yet by conserving what they had, we weren't, we weren't actually going anywhere. And so by the time we left, God had really done some great things. We had crossed the color barriers of church. We had engaged in some different ministries and, and God was in the community and God was really um, doing some things. Some of those things they continue to this day, which I'm really proud of them. So my first call was one of those ones that you just look back on and you think, wow, what an awesome start to ministry. Um, I learned a lot about myself, but the church had a, a pretty successful six years, um, experienced a lot of renewal, um, saw people come to faith, um, experienced some miraculous things. And that led me to um, really moving up into Madison, Wisconsin for my second call, which was um, a church plant. And so if my creation story in ministry was that first call. My second call, uh, this church plant, was definitely my fall. And um, I went up there thinking, wow, like this ministry thing, I, I kind of been pretty good at it. It's like not that hard. Like we'll just go up there and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll start ministering and like it'll be, you know, it'll be great. Like God will create a church and it'll be really amazing. And we went up there. This is all in the PCSA, by the way. Um, when I was down south, I found it pretty friendly at that time to evangelicals. And so I was an evangelical. And so I didn't run into the problems that I ran into in Madison, Wisconsin, where it was a lot different in the PCOSA. I was sort of a lone voice crying in the wilderness on some level. You know, I said, start working for the Presbytery, doing a church plant. And almost from day one, I could tell we were in trouble. And there's nothing worse than that. And I don't know if you've been in that experience where like you show up the first day thinking, okay, like excited about what's going to happen. You have your first meeting with your board and you realize very quickly we're in, we're, we're going to be in real trouble. Um, I've realized that first board meeting that a couple of the folks on that board didn't even believe that Jesus rose from the dead bodily. And so theologically, we were going to be at odds. Vision-wise, we were going to be at odds. We wanted different things. I'm not sure how I missed all those red flags in the interview process, but obviously I did. And, and so we started struggling. And for the next two years, basically, um, 2008 and 2009, um, my wife and I went into uh, what I mean, what by far has been the worst two years of our lives. I mean, it almost cost us our marriage. We got to a point in, in March of 2009 where my wife came to me and said, um, this, this ministry is failing. You're failing. Um, and you're failing not just in ministry, but you're failing me as a husband. And you're failing our children as a father. And, and if I don't, um, if, if things don't change, um, I'm going to leave you because I can't, I can't handle this. It's too much. 
And there's a lot of details that go along with that, but it was an unbelievably, as you can imagine, painful conversation. My wife and I are best friends. We kind of, we came to faith around the same time. We've kind of grown up in the faith together. So, so this was like, I couldn't even fathom how horrible this was. Um, so, you know, so I, I immediately said, well, I mean, the ministry's got to go then or some things have got to change then. And, and because you're the most important thing in my life. And thankfully she accepted that. And again, talk about repentance. That was a, definitely a moment of repentance for me, putting my ministry above my family, putting my own insecurities because the ministry was failing above my family. Um, we began a recovery process that took us to the end of that summer, August of 2009, when I formally resigned, not sure where we were going to go next. And God took me to really September, October, November, through a period of time where I maybe have got, I maybe got two to three hours of sleep a night. I just would pace all night long praying, angry with God, yelling at God, frustrated with God, you know, all the stuff, right? Um, I'm here. I am sacrificing my life to do this ministry, God, for you. And, and it's not working out. Um, or I feel like I'm being punished or this is the most horrible experience of my life. Why am I going through this? I came up here to serve you. It's supposed to not be this way. And what got exposed in those kind of that dark night of the soul, um, and it, that's what it was, was the reality of my own Id idolatry. Just this idea that on some level, I had made a deal with God. It, not consciously, but subconsciously, somewhere along the way, I had made a deal with God. I will give you my life. I will give you my time. I will give you my, my effort. But in return, I'm, I have some expectations. And those expectations are that ministry will go well that I will be successful, that um, those kinds of things. And I had to relinquish all of those and give all of that up. It was extremely painful. Um, basically, the way I describe it is almost like God stripping my life down to the studs and, and really starting over again. Um, and the, and the, the, the real blessing in that um, was that even in the midst of God really stripping me down to the studs, um, when I got down to like rock bottom, when I got down and I really had nothing left, I didn't even have words left to pray. I kind of came to the end of my words, even in that process. Um, I found Jesus there waiting for me. And, and, and he met me there in that place of deepest darkness in a way that I can't even begin to describe. Just, it, it just is. And if you've been through anything like that, you probably know the journey or you know what I'm talking about, or you can, you can, you can recognize it. Um, he just was there waiting for me. And at that point in time, he said, are you, are you really ready to surrender your life to me? Are you really ready to repent and of, of your notions of success and affirmate and your need for affirmation and all of those things? And are you really, are you really ready to relinquish your life into my hands and your ministry into my hands? And I didn't have any other choice at that point, of course. So I said, yes. And, um, and, and God at that point began to rebuild and God began to revitalize. Um, around that time, I called a mentor of mine out here in Colorado and told him I was done with ministry. I was going to just go back into hospital management, which was what I was doing before seminary. And, um, and he said, no, you're not done. He was a member of the EPC, um, you know, been around the EPC a long time, one of the kind of been around since almost the founding. And he said, you're not done. You're just in the wrong place and you need a, you need a, a fresh start. And there's a little church out here in Colorado that is struggling, that has just come off a church split. And, um, and I think you would be a good match. And so we got into the process with, with Pepsi, the church I serve currently. 
Um, they were coming off a place of incredible pain. Uh, we were coming off a crisis of our own pain. And we, I still remember the last question the, the search committee asked me uh, when I, you know, when we kind of got to the end of the process, they were like, so if we offer you this position, um, what's your greatest fear? And I said, well, let's just be honest. My greatest fear is that um, I'm coming off this place of brokenness. You're coming off a place of brokenness. This really could be the worst rebound relationship in history and just destroy us both, you know, or it really could be for our healing. And thankfully, that's really what it's been. We both came into this having been humbled, having been taken to the end of ourselves and beyond. And as a result, sat down as ruling elders and, and the teaching elders really at the session level that this took place. The ruling elders and the teaching elder myself, we just began this process of just coming before the Lord and letting him really restore us and restore us as a group. And that required a lot of trust building. Um, it was very difficult early on because we were both so jaded and cynical and, and, and really wounded. Um, we had a lot of very challenging conversations early on as we got to know one another, got to trust one another. Um, we, we made a lot of mistakes early on. I made a lot of mistakes early on. Um, I would often found myself assuming the worst of my brothers and sisters rather than the best. I would, I would catastrophize. That's what my counselor calls it. Worst case scenario sort of thinking. Um, and they did the same. And, but as we committed to working our way through that, what we found was redemption. So if you have creation was my first call and the fall was my second call and redemption is this third call. That's really what it's been is this redemptive process is um, one of my favorite verses is Joel 225, where it talks about God restoring the years, the locusts have eaten. And that's really what God did for me. And that's what God did for this church is he restored us and he restored these years we thought were lost and ministry started to become very fruitful and, and the church started to really recover and heal and lives were changed and people came to faith. And it's been just an amazing journey, you know, all along the way, not without its ups and downs, of course, but, but all along the way, as we just, again, submitted our, our, ourselves to the Lord. And so now we find ourselves in this really beautiful place. Um, and in a really trusting place and uh, really grateful. Our, my, my session is, I mean, they'll tell you this, it's the best small group in our church. We, we, live, we do life together on a very deep, deep level, and we're very vulnerable with one another. And as a result, we have reached a place of deep trust. It's, again, it still doesn't mean we don't have our issues, but, um, but we've reached this place of deep trust with one another and as a result, we're able to encourage one another and help each other stay revitalized because as much as we talk about the revitalization of the pastor at our next workshop, we'll talk about the revitalization of the session. And a part of my job, a major part of my job as the pastor here is to make sure that my session stays revitalized in their own ministries and in their own lives. And because I really believe as the session goes and so goes the church. And so, um, so part of our life together is spent making sure we we plug into, plug into what God is doing. And so one of my favorite verses to, to kind of reflect back on as we head into our breakout, second breakout sessions here, um, comes out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11. And it's, it's just a great little passage. It's Paul, you know, talking to his friends there in Thessalonica. And he says, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. And I, and I think on that, like, it's not up to me 
to make myself worthy of my calling. It's not up to me to make my elders worthy of their calling or them to make me worthy of my calling. It's not up to me to fulfill every resolve for good that we have. And it's not up to me to fulfill every work of faith by, by my own power. No, this is God's work in us. This is God's work through us. And our, our job really is to just come before the Lord in prayer together, set ourselves before the Lord, be available to the Lord, let him do his work in us because it's really God that does the work. Um, and our job is just to be present to him. And how we do that together is, it seems to me, key to not only revitalization, but actually maintaining revital, a revitalized posture um, in, our, in our own hearts and then to one another. And then, of course, ultimately out to the church and then ultimately out to the world. So I offer that, that, that scripture to you as we head into these second breakouts. Again, about 20 minutes. Think about that. Think about what that looks like for you. And then here's maybe the lead question. You know, in my life, like I said, creation, fall, redemption, first call, second call, third call. Maybe I'm, you know, it's not quite that neat, of course. But where do you find yourself? Are you in a creative creative space, just started a new call and wondering where it's all going to go? Are you in a space where, man, it just feels like, man, the, the road has gotten really rocky and really challenging. And maybe you're in that space where you feel like you're falling. Or maybe you're in that space where you feel like you're coming out of the fall into redemption. Where are you at in that space? And what would you be willing to share with your brothers and sisters as you head into your breakout session? So Brian, go ahead and send us out, my friend. I hope it's, I hope you're having some good conversations and I hope they're get, starting to get going. Um, Bryn McPhail, why are, I don't see you on my screen. There you are, Bryn, you're right in the middle of my screen. So Bryn, why don't you unmute your mic and share a little bit about your story and how revitalization really isn't something that we do on our own. We started kind of going that direction in our small group. And so share with us a little bit about that, what that's looked like for you in your context, brother. All right, I'm gonna to try to be good with our time here. And so I've even set a timer on myself. Uh, so I'm gonna take Mike's theme to begin and say that I've got a couple of confessions uh, related to big mistakes or miscalculations that I made early in ministry. And so I, I want to take you through my timeline. It'll help you process perhaps what I'm going to share. I was ordained in 1998 at the age of 25, had a two-point charge uh, that took me to 2002, uh, where I took a position as a senior pastor in Toronto, Canada, and then eight years later in 2010, I moved to Nassau, Bahamas, where I'm the senior pastor at St. Andrew's Kirk. So my two big mistakes that I made early in ministry. The first was that I thought I could maintain my spiritual vitality on my own. Now, by on my own, I don't mean without God. I mean, I thought as long as I was praying diligently, as long as I was studying the word of God regularly, as long as I was reading uh, helpful theology books and church ministry books, as, as long as I was disciplined, I believed I would always remain vitalized. And that was a huge, huge mistake. And, and, and I'll, I'll walk you through my journey as we go on. The second big mistake was imagining that my marriage did not profoundly affect the state of my ministry. 
So I thought my state of marriage was one thing and my state of ministry was another thing. And of course, they're distinct things, but my mistake was thinking that something could go off the rails in the one and not affect the other. And, and you heard a little bit of that from Doug, uh, the correlation between what's going on in your home and what's going on in ministry. And, and this became painfully evident. Uh, I was in my late 20s, I'm in my first charge, and my wife and I are struggling with fertility. And the years go by and we, we got married in 1994 and here we are, 2000, 2001, we still haven't had any children. And, and so some of you who maybe have pastored couples with infertility or, or perhaps have some close uh, experience with that, it can really, really be hard on a marriage. And so what I learned from that is I couldn't do it on my own. No amount of praying and devotional life and discipline, it wasn't going to cut it. And, and even my wife and I, we, we couldn't, there were things that were going on in the home emotionally that we, we couldn't solve on our own. And so my wife is a marriage and family therapist. And so uh, I guess she practices what she preaches and, and she sought out someone to counsel her. And, and so I realized that there's two parties involved here. So I went out and found a mentor to help me through this. And then the next thing, I'm going to the counselor with Allie and we're doing it together. And, and, and so what I wanna share for the next 10 minutes is what I call the Titus principle. And the Titus principle, and I'll give you the scripture in a moment, is basically the admission or the realization that God helps us using other people. That it's, it's not enough to just go in your prayer closet and have everything sorted out there. God has ordained to use people to help us in our difficulties and in our challenges. And so the Titus principle, as, as I've called it, I don't, I don't know that anyone else calls it the Titus principle, but it helps me uh, think this through. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, just a couple of verses, verses 5 and 6. That's 2 Corinthians 7, verses 5 and 6. The Apostle Paul says, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. That is one of the most encouraging couple of verses for me in the New Testament. And, and did you notice that Paul says that we worship a God who comforts the downcast? But what's striking is how God does it. Paul says, the God who comforts the downcast comforted us, comforted me by the coming of Titus. Now, teaching elders, even ruling elders, we are called to be Tituses for our congregation. We're to be sources of encouragement, sources of strength for those that we're called to shepherd. 
But what I learned the hard way is that like Paul, we need Titus's in our life. And we ought to be uh, intentionally seeking Titus's or discerning Titus's that God, are, that God would put into our life to help us be revitalized. So the, the next stage of my ministry, I'm at age 29, I'm called to, uh, now congregations in Canada aren't nearly as large as congregations in the U.S., but I was called to the largest congregation in the Presbytery of West Toronto. I was 29 years of age, uh, five years into ministry, and I, I don't know if I had a sign on my forehead, but the most senior guys in the presbytery knew I was in over my head and that I needed help. And so the three most senior guys in the presbytery immediately took me under their wing and, and they mentored me all eight years that I was there. And I can't imagine having done the eight years in that congregation without them. Uh, this was a very challenging call in West Toronto uh, on a variety of levels, and I could not have made it through unless I had those three Tituses meeting with me monthly as a group, but also individually for breakfast, lunch, and, and so forth. So there, I'm, I'm just taking you through my journey here. Now, fast forward to 2010. At this point, I'm 37 years of old, 37 years of age in 2010, and I'm pastoring in Nassau, Bahamas. And if you're not aware, our island is approximately 22 by six miles. It's not a big place. We, we talk about leaving the rock, and that just means we're going crazy. We have to go to Florida. It's a small, isolated island. 22 by six miles. Now, but here's the interesting thing. Ministry from the outset at St. Andrews Kirk in Nassau goes super smoothly. It seems everything we put our hand to succeeded. Progress and growth came much more easily than at any other point in my ministry life. Within five years of being there, our weekly attendance quadrupled. But here's the interesting thing, and, I, and, and Doug mentioned this as well. Ministry had never been easier. Uh, by certain measurements, you would say it's never been more successful, but I was feeling depleted. I was struggling even as the congregation was thriving. So what was the difference? What was the difference that I could handle a tough ministry in Toronto, but this easier ministry in Nassau, and I'm depleted. The difference, I think, was I had no mentor. Now, part of that was being on an island and being the only EPC congregation on that island, but part of it was, you know, at 25 and 29, it was obvious I needed a lot of help, but as you start to approach 40, you think, well, maybe I should be giving help to others. And what I learned is I desperately still need mentorship. And, and that I felt compelled to re-engage and to find my new Titus, if you will, um, 
when I left Canada for the Bahamas, my mother was unwell. Uh, she ended up passing away in 2017. And immediately after my mother died, my sister's cancer returned and my sister passed away in 2019. And so at this point, without any mentorship for nine years, I'm feeling it. I'm really feeling it. And so I called Jerry I. Murray and I said, Jerry, ministry's going well, but I'm struggling. Can you connect me with someone in our denomination, an older, more experienced minister who can help me navigate this difficult season? And Jerry did the work for me. Uh, he introduced me to a colleague uh, whom I didn't know, and he handpicked uh, my Titus. And I'm, I'm glad to be able to say in 2020, in spite of all the COVID uh, challenges, uh, I've never felt more revitalized. And I owe that to God placing a Titus in my life. I guess you could say he gave me two Tituses. He gave me Jerry Iamuri, Titus number one, who found me another Titus number two. And, and so I learned the hard way. I couldn't revitalize on my own. I needed someone to walk with me closely. And so I want to paraphrase 2 Corinthians 7, 6 for you. And, and, I, and I hope you don't find this to be uh, a poor paraphrase. God who revitalizes the downcast revitalized me by placing godly men in close proximity to me. Again, we play the role of Titus for our congregation. We play the role of Titus for many people. And really, I just wanna urge you this afternoon, make sure you have a Titus. We wanna be a Titus to others, of course, but make sure you have a Titus. Pray to the Lord, ask him to provide a Titus. Uh, and I don't, I hope this isn't sacrilege or just ask Jerry, I am Yuri, and he'll give you a Titus. Uh, Jerry's not on this call, but say, we'll put his number on the screen or something. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but really, I, I just want to close with that is uh, 23 years of ordained ministry. Uh, I resonate with Mike Wright's graph of the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs, and the correlation of the ups and the downs for me relates to the Tituses that I'm engaging. Mm -hmm. All the high points in the graph for me are when I'm close to my Tituses and all the low points for me are when I'm doing it alone. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Thanks, Bryn. Really appreciate that. Uh, we'll move now to our breakout sessions. And yeah, who do you go to? Uh, who is your Titus? Um, who is that person in your life that um, is walking this journey with you? Do you have someone? Um, do you know how to find someone um, It could be a peer group? It could be a mentor. It could be um, a professional counselor if necessary. Like what, what does that look like for you? Let's talk about that as we close out our time together today. So Brian, go ahead and send us out, brother. Just wanted to come back and say thanks for being here. As I was telling our, our breakout group, next time we will focus on the revitalization of the session. That'll be in January. Really, our conviction is, is that what happens in your life together as a session is what will get replicated in your life together as a church. And so we'll give you some tools on how to actually 
you know, really um, deepen your life together spiritually as a session. Keep yourselves revitalized along the way. Be in mutual encouragements. Be Tituses for one another. All of those kinds of things. Um, and so look for that in January when we reconvene. Um, until then, we just pray God's blessing on you for this Thanksgiving, for Christmas. We know it's an unbelievably challenging season for all of us. And so in whatever way you're going to be able to celebrate that, we trust that God will uh, make himself known. And so let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll say goodbye for now. So Lord, just thank you for this time. Thank you that you are um, so present to us no matter where we find ourselves in life and ministry, where we find ourselves on the cycle of creation, fall, redemption, glory, where we find ourselves just on that revitalization curve. Um, you are present with us. You're with us. You're walking beside us. And even in this challenging COVID season, you're not leaving us alone. So God, do the work that only you can do over these next couple of months until we reconvene and encourage our spirits, encourage our hearts, God. Um, bring a mentor or a friend into our lives that we can share with, Lord. We just thank you for all that you're doing, even now in this time. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Hey, thanks, friends. We'll see you next time.